I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Hello and welcome to the Fried Egg Podcast. My name is Garrett Morrison, and today's episode asks the question, have we learned the wrong lessons from Phil Mickelson's downfall? So as you are no doubt aware, things have been moving quickly for Phil. He made headlines with some frankly wild comments about Saudi Arabia's efforts in golf. He got dropped by most of his major sponsors. He's been getting flack from golf media and even from some fellow PGA Tour pros. A lot has happened. And if you've been following golf news lately, you've probably heard plenty about it, maybe too much. So in this episode, Andy Johnson and I try to give a fresh take on the whole situation. Now, we definitely aren't here to defend Phil or to say that he shouldn't face consequences for what he did and said, but we do want to explore what's motivating the backlash against him. And we also want to ask whether he was saying anything that was worth listening to. This episode was partly inspired by an article I wrote for thefriedegg.com called Phil Mickelson and the Uses of Leverage. I'll put a link in the show notes, and if you're interested, check it out. All right, here's me and Andy. I think that where we should start is just where we are right now. Phil is being dropped by sponsors. He got dropped in the PIP standings, too. Just out this morning, <laughs> the morning of the recording, Wednesday morning, that he uh, that he finished number two in the PIP after announcing a few months back that he won the PIP. Toward the end of December, he sent out a tweet announcing his victory, even though, reportedly, the PIP calculations hadn't even be, been finished for 2021 yet. <laughs> and then Tiger, Tiger piled on this morning, you know. Yeah, well, so the, the PIP, the full... Pip's stats were released today and tiger obviously was number one. i don't know why there was any question that that he would win it or not i'm not sure if it was close but you know he's clearly gonna lead most of those categories just in terms of name recognition he's the only golfer that a lot of people know um, phil mickelson lags way behind him in terms of fame but phil was number two and so he got he got plenty of money i'm not sure how many millions he got he didn't get the eight million dollar top million. prize Got six. He got six million. Yeah. I think I think that's uh, that's a nice little chunk of change, and it sounds like Phil could maybe use some money at the moment. So I'm I'm sure that any amount is welcome. But um, if people aren't familiar with what happened in the past couple of weeks, and and you know if you're following golf, then you're probably familiar with it. But he made some controversial, pretty shocking comments to Alan Shipnook about his involvement with the emerging Saudi golf league. He referred to the Saudis as scary mother effers, but said that even though he was fully aware that this was a sports washing play, he used the term sports washing, I believe with Shipnook. And, uh, even though he was fully aware of the abysmal human rights record that Saudi Arabia has, he was still willing to go along with well, this plan. Once, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape the PGA Tour. 
Exactly. Right. So human rights abuses, uh, you know, murdering journalists. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that. But what about reshaping the PGA tour? Okay. So like these comments were, I mean, at least they seemed somewhat honest to a degree. That's maybe the only good thing that can be said about them. But obviously he just kind of laid out for everybody the uh, moral failings of this entire enterprise made it so clear. And so he, he got a lot of pushback. Yeah, and and this seemingly this quote seemingly killed all the momentum that the the league had. Um, obviously, at the start of Riviera Week, it was all the talk. It was you know, hey, this thing is going to happen. Um, there are players that are signed, maybe even twenty players that are signed, and these comments came out, and everything essentially crumbled around him. Dustin Johnson put out a statement saying that he would stay on the PGA Tour for the time being. Bryson DeChambeau stepped back from the Saudi Tour. Uh, Xander Schauffele even confusingly put out a statement that nobody was asking for, that that he was not going to be on with the Super Golf League uh, funded by Saudi Arabia. And so, uh, yeah, it, it seems like this was a major setback for the Saudi League. But everything I've heard indicates that it's still going to go forward. It just might not have some of the big names that it might have had before. Yeah. And, and it seems like, I mean, that's the thing. Somebody with uh, this willing to spend billions of dollars just doesn't give up because they're, they first failed, you know? Yeah. And they've hired all these people. There's this, there's this emerging bureaucracy in place for the SGL and that's not going anywhere either. They're, they're ready to do this. They're just not going to have Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson right away. They may have them later you know, when it all calms down a little bit. So you had, uh, you wrote a piece a little bit. I mean, everybody in the, in the world's piling on Phil, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of celebrating the PGA tours, great win. Um, your piece had a little bit different view. Uh, it was on the friedag.com. If anybody wants to go read it, um, tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of what you gleaned from the situation. Well, first of all, Basically, what convinced me to write the article was listening to what other people in the media and in the game were starting to say about the situation. And a lot of the blowback that Phil got was not necessarily about his involvement in the sports washing enterprise, which is, I think, the point of this. You know, that that is the thing that was wrong here is that he was he was helping an oppressive government do its business knowingly no very knowingly like he was fully aware of it eyes wide open the whole time that's what's objectionable here but it seemed like that a lot of players that a lot of members of the media what was offensive to them was that he had betrayed the pga tour and so the pushback on phil wasn't so much we should reject this sgl because it is an amoral endeavor it was, we should reject the SGL because it's a threat to the PGA Tour. And uh, this became especially clear to me when I heard what Brandel Shambly had to say on Golf Channel. There was you know, a segment that he did after Phil released his so-called apology. <laughs> there wasn't really an apology. It was more of a, an extended self-justification, an attempt to you know, uh, mend some uh, uh, relationships that he had broken. But you know, Brandel said a lot of really persuasive things in this segment. He 
uh, picked apart the statement, and I think in a really accurate way, he did mention that the Saudi Arabian government was not the the entity to to do business with. He did mention those things, but the bulk of his commentary had to do with this betrayal of the PGA Tour, and he ended up saying, how does golf desperately need to change? The game of golf is booming. The PGA Tour is doing extraordinarily well. And then he went on to call the PGA Tour a very philanthropic tour that takes care of players from the time they get out of college until they want to hang it up. I can't imagine a tour that takes care of players from the beginning of their career until into late age, other than the PGA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, Brandel Chambly's employer, Golf Channel, has a very close relationship with the PGA Tour that became closer with the recent media deal. And I started to realize that the reason that people were mad uh, with Phil and were kind of shunning him in this moment wasn't that they wanted to reject sports washing and golf. It's that they wanted to prop up the PGA Tour. You know, something I just thought of is uh, on the shotgun start, we had uh, Seller Shy on, who's the lead producer of, uh, I hope I got that right. He's not executive. I think it's lead producer is the correct title of CBS Sports' golf uh, broadcast. So what you watch on CBS. Um, He's done a really good job. He's been in place for like a, a year, but we asked him about you know, the idea, because his predecessor had talked about how they're a partner of the PGA Tour as a broadcast, you know, not media. They aren't, you know, there's a very clear delineation between being a partner and being media. And, I, you know, this thought just popped in my head when you were talking about it is, is Golf Channel, they're a partner of the PGA Tour. And I think it's the same type of relationship. They're you know, what's what's beneficial for the tour is beneficial for its partner. And I think that's the thing that everybody needs to keep in mind when when you're, you know, with with these things is that that this is more of a partnership. This isn't a media relationship like a, you know, there's no competing media organizations, right? There are partners and that's it. A lot, a lot of people have a lot to lose if the PGA Tour goes down. Exactly. And that's the thing is that Golf Channel... You know, that was a question that had started to brew up um, because it seemed like this was going to happen. Was like, wait, where is this going to be telecasted? Who has the rights? Like, what's the rights deal look like? And I think one of the things is that this threat of a competitor, whether it was the PGL off the bat, which later turned kind of into the SGL when, you know, the initial rejection of the PGL, which was a couple years ago, the premier golf league, Part of their investor group was the Saudis, mm-hmm. you know, and and now you look back, it's like, well, that was a lot better than everything being the Saudis, <laughs> um, which is what happened is the Saudis just stole the idea and put all their own money into it. Well, it's it's hindsight's twenty twenty, you know, we, we like. It, Nobody could have predicted that the Saudis would break off and form their own, you know, version of the Premier Golf League. Well, that's what happened. They got feedback and it was like, oh, get the Saudi Arabia money out of it. And they tried to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, they just did it on their own. (laughs) And and they have a lot less money now. (laughs) You know, that's the that's the other problem is that the involvement of the Saudis gave them uh, a lot of financial might, the the original Premier Golf League. And once the Saudis were out of it, it was uh, they, they were they had a lot less of an advantage over the PGA Tour in that sense. 
But I think you think about the the last two years of this going on. The tour has changed a lot. We have the play, the what we talked about at the beginning, the player impact program. We have you know the potential for this NFT partnership that Phil talked about um, with the PGA Tour. We've seen you know talks of doing different tournament formats and pushing in directions where the fall. Maybe we don't have all these tournaments that are consequential to the FedEx Cup. There's all these changes that are being talked about. And and what has done that is competition. Competition is a very good thing in every single industry. It makes companies better. If there's no competition, what happens is the big gorilla in the room becomes complacent. And I think that's a really good way to describe the PGA Tour for the last 20 years. is Incredibly complacent. complacent. Yes. And the people that have hurt, been hurt the most by the complacency of the tour is the fans. And I think that is very telling of the product that they put out. Like, diehard golf fans love golf. Like, they're going to show up regardless. Whether they're, like, thrilled about showing up or not is different. But if they're really excited about showing up, you're going to you're gonna broaden the net. They're gonna, people are going to be like, wow, like, why does Andy want to watch golf so bad, you know? Um, and I think that's the thing that gets missed a little bit, um, especially with golf in this weird space where you don't really have owners that have financial interest in, you know, in the fans, right? There's no owner that benefits from having sellouts at every single tour event, right? Uh, or their tour event outside of these individual tournaments that don't really have much power. And because of that, you, the complacency can be at a at a level unseen in any other professional sport, really. And and this is getting into what the main point of my article was, is that one thing that Phil was talking about to Alan Shipnook and to other journalists that he spoke to in, in the past couple of months. Yeah, John Huggins' Golf Digest article from early in February has gotten somewhat swamped by the subsequent quotes that Phil Mickelson uh, gave to Shipnook, but that John Huggin article on Golf Digest where Phil talked about the quote-unquote obnoxious greed of the PGA Tour was pretty sensational too and important for understanding where Mickelson is coming from. And part of where he's coming from is trying to create leverage against the PGA Tour. It is very, very difficult to change what the PGA Tour is doing for a multitude of reasons, some of which you uh, just described. But one of the reasons it's so difficult to change what the PGA Tour is doing is that they're just not incentivized to do anything that might make the majority of its membership mad. And right now, the majority of its membership is not of the stature of Phil Mickelson. The majority of its membership is these kind of middling players. I mean, nobody who's on the PGA Tour is middling. They're all exceptional. But in terms of PGA Tour players, sort of also rands, um, their interest is in making as much money as possible. And right now, the PGA Tour system is designed to kind of overpay them. But the problem is nobody knows who these people are. They're being rewarded for no particular reason. And so what would be better for the fans is if there were a tour that served the interests of that serve the interests of the top players a little bit more, because the top players are who we want to see. 
week in and week out. The top players are the ones who actually drive interest in the game. We want to see those players reliably show up to tournaments and compete with each other and have rivalries with each other. But right now, the way the tour is with all these tournaments spread out on just about every weekend of the year in order to give playing opportunities to the majority of PGA Tour members, it becomes just so hard to follow the season. And you just never know when Roy McIlroy, John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, you don't know when these guys are all going to show up at the same tournament. And so it's just hard to keep track of the storylines. And even when there's a strong field, not everybody is there. And the other thing is that you have these huge high points in the story of the Mm -hmm. season and you can make an argument that some of the lowest of lows are in between them those weeks between majors because none of the guys are playing. And then there's the FedEx Cup playoffs, which are nothing. You know, like even players are starting to speak up about how lacking in juice the FedEx Cup playoffs are. Nobody wants them. Nobody's interested in them. This should be a high point of the season, but it's not. So, the, and this is, I think, the, the, I guess, the substance of the SGL as a threat. You know, beyond, uh, once you get past the, the, not so good humanitarian things, the bad humanitarian aspects. Let's just it. pretend that yeah. this concept is being put forward by the Premier Golf League without the Saudi backing. Yeah. When you look at it from that sense, is like, oh, the playoffs like would be pretty cool if it was 20 events and the players were at all 20 events. Like You'd have some really cohesive storyline i'm you know it's going to be really interesting to compare and contrast the netflix documentary with the f1 stuff that they're doing obviously they're doing a f1 drive to survive style documentary it's like i i just was going through my head it's like how do you do the f1 stuff if uh hamilton and verstappen aren't at every like that's the you know overriding kind of big story right and if they just aren't at races for it, four it, it, weeks, it kills the it momentum. kills the story. Yeah. There's no yeah. story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's become almost a cliche to compare Formula One to golf and talk about all the things that Formula One does better. But I think it's a really interesting comparison because the sports have quite a few similarities in, in, in the way that they're kind of individual sports with these interesting, sometimes kind of cranky characters who form rivalries with each other. But in F1, it's just 20 drivers. That's all you're following over the course of the season. They're at every single race because they they can't miss a race. If, if one of those drivers is not in the race, then that means that they're injured or sick or something has happened. But they're at every single race. And so you get these great kind of season-long dramas like we had last season with Verstappen and Hamilton, but also between the teams that are farther down the order that don't have as fast cars. There are rivalries between them too, and interesting characters that we as fans get to know over the course of the season because we're seeing them at every single race and kind of getting familiar with their quirks and their relationships with each other and all that stuff. Golf has absolutely none of that. Yeah, and and I think like the thing that, you know, for golf, what's missing out, right? We're talking about F1, but like what is missing out is that imagine last year, right? You've got a guy like Ricky Fowler who's like on on the down in a decline, 
his decline in a way gets muted because he's not everywhere. Right. right. It's like, okay, he plays here. He's not there. Like it, it gets like diminished. Like you kind of hear about it every month once, but the weeks in, 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 in between when he plays mutes it. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got a guy like Sam Burns who had like a meteoric rise. And we got to the end of the year and everybody's like, oh, what a great year Sam Burns had. And, and it, it, people talked about it during. But the same thing happened is like this guy becoming like this young star is kind of trampled by these intermittent weeks when he's not playing. And these other pop-up stories that are really, a lot of times, insignificant. Like, whoever won the John Deere, I can't remember, you know? <laughs> whoever won the John Deere, whoever won the, the 3M. Like, these things come in, and they, and they kind of trample down the big stories, the ones that people, like, that you can build on. And, and what it does is it really hinders the top players, which Phil... Has, I don't think he's gotten fully there. To I, Maybe he has. But he, he, he wants the know, money. Like, like he's yeah, motivated he by the, the money. The money, but he doesn't understand the harm that this does to the big stories, which are generated by the big name players. Like why people don't, like it's really hard. Like you ask somebody, who's your favorite golfer? A lot of times, like I, I my entire life, I've kind of just been like, I don't know. You know, outside of Tiger, it's like, you know, Tiger, I don't know who else. And it's like, well, why you don't have a feeling? Why don't you don't have like a, a really easy answer is because these stories never get developed fully. And, and think about how much this would benefit somebody like Victor Hovland, who is tremendously likable, a great player and up and coming young. But I feel like he has gotten... Uh, the short end of the stick here uh, in terms of public popularity because of the way the PGA Tour season is structured. He hasn't starred enough. He hasn't been put out front enough. He hasn't been given the opportunity to bring to people his engaging personality and his fun style of play. Well, and, and then you also think like a good example of this is Brooks Kepka, right? Mm -hmm. Where Brooks Kepka. You know, he flew under the radar for a long time, felt like he was getting disrespected all the time. And then all of a sudden, you know, and people were like, well, he's a dial tone. He has nothing to say was what what the general consensus on Brooks Kepka was for years. Oh, he's got nothing to say. And then all of a sudden, one year, he just comes out guns ablazing with all these opinions. But mm -hmm. it's just because he was actually given the opportunity to talk. Because yep. he had become such a big star from all the major success, and he had gotten past, you know, and, and all of a sudden then, it's like, oh, this guy actually says stuff of substance. Like, we, you know, this is, it's unbelievable how blunt this guy is. Like, he probably was pretty similar to that, but he just wasn't ever afforded the opportunity. And this is someone very sim in the similar vein that had this meteoric rise, but was drowned out by everything else going on. Way too much stuff going on. It's like, you know, it's like, I imagine you probably could sympathize to this when you edit something. Somebody sends you 10,000 words and you edit it down to 3,000 words. It probably gets a lot clearer what the actual point of the article is. Yeah. Concision focus is a big deal in both writing and in the presentation of a sports entertainment product. And the problem that the, that the PGA Tour has right now is that there are too many tournaments, too many players, and it's disjointed, 
and people don't get a clear idea of what's actually happening and who the true characters in this game are, who the true best players in the game are, and just what to focus on week to week. That's the problem with the product. And to bring it back home, the reason that problem is so intractable, the reason the PGA Tour wouldn't be able to fix that problem on their own is that the top players don't have much leverage against the PGA Tour. It's the majority of players who have leverage against the PGA Tour. Their interests are served by this schedule and by this structure of things. And if the fills of the world had you know, more say in how the PGA Tour did its business, then I think the fans would benefit. Yes, the top players would benefit too. They'd get more money. And that is what Phil's interest is. I don't think he's super interested in what the fans think. But I think that in pursuing that advantage, that the top players having more influence would benefit the fans in the end. And that is the that is the big point that people are kind of missing from what Phil was trying to do, that what he was trying to do might have actually in a weird way, if he were doing it differently with clean money might have helped improve the PGA tour, but that's getting lost now because, you know, Brandel's out there on, on golf channel shouting about the PGA tour pension. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, the, a big thing here is that, you know, it started talking about how the owners and other sports are proxies for the fans. In a way, the only way golf can function really well is if the top players, the people who stand to make the most money, if the sport's uber popular, are the top players. And they are actually the people that could be the proxy for the fans. They would understand. Mike, uh, Phil talked about it. I'd be mic'd up all the time. I'd mic everything up if, if I saw financial benefit from it. But I don't see any, I don't see a dollar more if I agree to be mic'd up. And he talked about that. Like, if that paradigm shifted, because right now, you know, the majority of the PGA Tour is guys that are just happy to be up there making millions of dollars playing golf. The guys at the very top see the huge financial opportunity that they bring or that they have and that they the value that they bring to the PGA Tour, which is why. You know, it seemed like a, a fair, a good, fair chunk of them were ready to break away, despite you know the awfulness of the Saudi Arabia regime. You know, like that's the thing, and and that I think is one of the other aspects of this that really sucks, is that Saudi Arabia is now the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room and is preventing anybody else from creating an upstart league that could potentially disrupt the PGA Tour. Yeah, uh, n- nobody is hurt more by the Super Golf League than the Premier Golf League. <laughs> they just don't have a, a, a port of entry anymore in into the golf world, and and that's a bummer. Now, I, I'm not sure that I necessarily want there to be a big schism in men's professional golf where there's the PGA Tour and then this breakaway Super League that has nothing to do with it. What I'm interested in is some pressure being applied to the PGA Tour, because from my perspective, the PGA Tour's current product couldn't really get much worse. Listen, and this is from two people that love golf and that watch golf. I watch every it every week. week. We like I have to. It's my <laughs> like I you know if anything you know like like we're the ones that like you sometimes I you know it's Saturday afternoon and I'm sitting there watching golf on like a beautiful Saturday and I think to myself what the hell am I doing right now? Like, why, 
<laughs> like, why am I watching this? And it, it's because, you know, your your core fans are never going to leave, but you can alienate them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, part of this, like, next generation of golf fans. I don't think they watch as much golf as they just enjoy the commentary around it. They enjoy the social media aspect of it. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes that the tour makes is that they they might be aware that the product's not great, right? But the worst thing you could do when you don't have a great product is is do more of it. You shouldn't put your product out there more. It's a very counterintuitive thing. It's like, well, like if our product's not good, we need more volume. But that's no, no, that's not what you should do. You, you should have less of it, you know? It just makes things worse to, exactly. for, for there makes, to be more of it. It, it dilutes it even flaws. further. Yeah, and it makes your flaws more and more apparent. And that's the thing is that like, the 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 deficiencies of the coverage, the deficiencies in the product of like you know who's you know with you know you go on a leaderboard and and week to week you might care about twenty percent of the leaderboard that that's not good. Today's pod is brought to you by Friday Events. So we have events that are coming up uh, for registration. We have Meadowbrook uh, that will be up on Monday at noon Eastern. Meadowbrook is a Andy Staples redesign in, outside of Detroit, a wonderful, fun place. We also still have a few spots available for the cheesesteak, which is at Huntington Valley uh, Country Club outside of Philadelphia. This is a William Flynn golf course. It's one of William Flynn's best golf courses. It is a really neat routing. The uh, front nine plays around the entire outside of the property. It's kind of like a big bowl. So you kind of play along the top and then the, the back nine weaves its way through the inner part of the property. A really great place. Very few level lies, great green sites. And they also have one of the best superintendents in the country, Scott Anderson, who keeps that place like a uh, rocket ship. It's just so firm and fast um, and uh, really was a trendsetter with a lot of maintenance practices that have become in vogue today. So that is a great event, the cheesesteak. You can find these on our, our website. If you go to thefriedegg.com, there's an events tab, and that will direct you to all the upcoming registrations as well uh, as the uh, events, the cheesesteak and the stalemate at Meadowbrook. Thanks. And back to our discussion on Phil Mickelson. Um, wh- where do you think Phil goes from here? Like, what do you, what do you think is, ne- is next for him? It's a great question. I mean, I, nobody knows what his status is with the tour. He could be suspended. Yeah, an under underrated part of the Shipnook article is Phil admitting that he and three other big time players hired lawyers to draft up an operating agreement for the Super Golf League. And that more than anything else than he that he said might be the main thing that gets him potentially suspended or banished from the tour. He has obviously burnt up not only capital within the PGA tour that he had built up over 30 years of being one of the tours, highest profile players, big ticket items. Like he burnt up a lot of internal capital uh, with the tour and their employees, but he also built up a lot of capital with his peers on the PGA tour, his colleagues on the PGA tour, which I don't like, you know, Phil seems to be a guy that likes to be liked. And I, I think that's going to be a tough thing for him if he goes back to the tour. 
you know, it's going to be a lot different feel around the tour um, because of his actions. But that being said, it's golf. Sometimes a lot, you know, things just get brushed over and, and everything's a- acts like everything's, you know, rosy and, and everything's all good. So, you know, he, I mean, he's the reigning PGA champion. <laughs> like, I think that's another underrated aspect of this whole thing. The guy won a major last year. Like, I know. You know, this is, like we're, we're 10 months removed from one of the greatest major championship moments in the history of golf. He was literally posing in the Kiowa sunset with his trophy less than a year ago. And that's a big reason I think that, you know, I think that Phil still has a lot of leftover goodwill among the public. And I think that there will be eventually an argument that's persuasive to a lot of people that he got screwed in this whole affair. Now, I don't necessarily agree with uh, agree with that. I think he was intentionally putting himself out in front of this being the public face of the Saudi league in order to take some of the heat off the other guys and be able to recruit more players. I think he was doing this very knowingly and he has nobody to blame but himself again. But uh I think eventually people will ask the question well, why didn't all these other guys get the same treatment? I think that should, question should be asked now, actually, with well, a lot okay. of these guys. Here's a, li- here's a list. These are players who played in the 2022 Saudi International. Abraham Anser, Paul Casey, Bryson DeChambeau, Tommy Fleetwood, Sergio Garcia, Tyrrell Hatton, Dustin Johnson, Jason Kokrak, Graham McDowell. Come on, Graham. Kevin Na, Joaquin Neiman, Louis Oosthuizen, Ian Poulter, Xander Schauffele, Henrik Stenson, Harold Varner, Johnny Vegas, Bubba Watson, and your boy Lee Westwood. Tony Finau was in there too, right? Or did he not play oh, yeah. this year? Actually, I don't know. That's a good question. He has played in the uh, in in this tournament before for sure. But all those names I just ran through. We're in the Saudi international field. Now, rumors are rumors. I, I'm, I'm not going to you know, report them as fact, but I have heard those names mentioned as people who were very interested in the SGL. I'm not sure how many of them are still interested, but guess what? They were in this as much as Phil Mickelson was. These guys are not done. They weren't drafting the agreement. And that's it. But no, who just, are the other two three, players? Three other players. Yeah, three yeah, other players. Three other who, players. Who are they? That's a good question. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think one of the things I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, the most popular like TV shows have had this unbelievable resurgence and it's really all centered around the same type of TV show with a, you know, for the most part, there's going to be some outliers, but this like this essentially main character who has very, very clear character flaws. They are You're talking about an anti-hero. An anti-hero. Yes. You go back, the Sopranos, Tony Soprano, the wire, the Walter the gangsters. White. Yeah. Walter White, Breaking Bad, Madman, John Hamm and Madman. John Don Draper, not a good guy. But like extremely like likable characteristics where you find yourself and I think that's the draw is like you find yourself rooting for this guy or this person that's not a good person. <laughs> And I think that's like a lot of the draw of these TV shows, but it's been a recipe for TV. And the thing that is, it it was, is crazy about golf is the two biggest stars, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson fit this 
this exact character profile. And they, they have for a long time, but Phil Mickelson hasn't necessarily embraced that. Like his image to a lot of people was squeaky clean. The good guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna give you a thumbs up. I'm gonna I'm gonna look you in the eye and say your name if you're paired with me in a pro am. I'm gonna sign your kids, you know, golf ball or golf glove. And uh yeah, that was his image. But for I mean, the the anti-Phil sentiment has been building for decades. The the whole fig jam thing early in his career. I know rumors have been going around about Phil for years and years and years. And then recently, what, he's had the insider yeah, trading insane. scandal, yeah. the Tom Watson execution at the Ryder Cup, hitting a moving putt at the 2018 U.S. Open. The golf ball, the, the equipment switch right before the Ryder Cup. This has been going for years and years and years, but the the public image that he was trying to put across just didn't fit with it. Now those those that backstory has caught up with him. And so it'll be interesting to see how he incorporates that or doesn't or tries to do, tries to reject it and and move on with another image. But he he could he could try to, you know, embrace the anti-hero. I I don't know if that's likely. It was just something I thought about this weekend about about the two huge superstars and how they fit this bill because i think it in a way like they embody like what happens to you when you're out in the open for 30 years is like everybody has flaws yeah. you know and these guys have flaws they aren't perfect they make mistakes phil phil's made a terrible mistake you know and he overplayed his hand the quotes coming out like saying that to somebody whether it was on or off the record, I, you know, it, it seems like it was on. <laughs> if you were to make a list of all the dumbest things yeah. to say in his situation, he said them to Alan Chipnuck and a few of them to John Huggin. Yeah. What are you doing? And know. and that's, you know, in a way, like, I mean, I think the smartest thing he could have done, which he didn't do, was he should have just been like, yeah, I mean, I wanted this to blow up. I was just using this as leverage. Like. I didn't want, you know, I, that's why I said what I said to Alan Shipnock is I wanted this all to blow up. I didn't want the Saudis to win. And, and here it came to the 11th hour and that's when it blew up. I blew it up, you know, yeah. like, thank you. You know, could take credit for that. That's the way he should have played. Like, you know, if you, that's the way he probably, the only way he could have played this where he came out looking like a good guy. Well, it may be the only way he could have played it to retain the support of the pga tour mm -hmm. and the big thing that has happened with phil in these past couple of weeks is that he lost the support of the pga tour and once he lost that i mean and it takes a lot to lose it remember like patrick reed is still supported by the pga tour yeah. <laughs> in That's spite of point. in spite of everything that guy's done um <laughs> i think phil mickelson still basically had Pontevedra's support until he came out and said I actually helped draft the operating agreement for this breakaway tour. Now that support is cut off, and now everybody's coming after him. The players are coming after him. The PGA Tours boosters in the media are coming after him, and he doesn't have that protection anymore. Now it's it'll be interesting to see if he tries to get back in their good graces. This episode was edited by me and Meg Atkins. 
If you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review of the Fried Egg Podcast in iTunes. Just doing that is a simple way to support us and help us find new listeners. Thanks for being here today, and we'll see you next week.